Hello and welcome to Series 1 of the Overcoming Limiting Beliefs podcast. I'm Mark Bristow and this is for you if you're not where you want to be in life and you don't know why. In this series I'll share with you gentle techniques, tips and interviews with change specialists to help you move away from where you are and towards a life you truly deserve. Hello and welcome to the Overcoming Limiting Beliefs podcast with me, Mark Bristow. And today I'll bring you my interview with Sue Cooper, who I first met when we were on a training course together some 30 odd years ago. Since then, Sue has used her global business acumen, including managing director of a publicly listed global stockbroking firm, to help others. Her stories of art and near death, which highlight her compelling passion to shine the light on potential, show why limiting beliefs needn't hold us back any longer. Sue helps individuals to maximize their future while helping them to navigate real life roadblocks. And the stories and tips she shares in this interview can be an inspiration to us all. So enough from me, let's go over to that interview right now. Well, hello, Sue. Thank you for finding time to come on Overcoming Limiting Beliefs. And uh, how are you today? I'm great, thank you. Very happy to be here. Good. Uh, I'm not so sure whether I'm happy that you're here because I've just realized that we actually started training together to, to go out and sell life assurance and pensions in the big wide world some 30 years ago. <laughs> I can't believe it's 30 years. That's insane. It is 30 years ago. And if we had the video on it, 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 it would look like you did this when you, when you were about six. So, oh, well, well said, Mark. <laughs> so, you didn't even hesitate. In 30 years since then, what have you been up to? Well, quite a lot. We, we trained together. I, I don't think you ever quite uh, got the warnings that I did, but I was taken off to one side during that training 30 years ago. And told actually we don't think you're going to make it um, and now's the time to duck out and you can still keep your job in head office um, and I said well I don't want to duck out and they said well you probably won't make it at the end of this three months and therefore we won't have a job for you and I said I'm willing to take that risk consistently they said I wasn't going to make it until I eventually had a, um, a role play with a real broker and when our uh, trainer said no you're definitely not going to make it you didn't follow any of the rules in how you were supposed to conduct this interview the broker actually said well hang on a minute actually I feel like she was the only one who truly listened to me without some hidden agenda and because of that I gave her more information she picked up on the buying signals and actually I think she'd do a really good job so I'm thankful to that one person who enabled me to actually go out and become a consultant. But the company still not believing really that I would do it. They said basically they would had three women before me uh, ever try to do the job and they hadn't succeeded. Therefore, they were convinced I wouldn't. With the full population of three people, uh, they, they took that as fact that I wouldn't make it. So they sent me down to Bournemouth to an area that hadn't written any business in the past and said, well, if you um, make a mess of this, it won't really matter to us because there's no business written anyway. 
So I left um, Bournemouth four years later, uh, top of the whole of the south of England in terms of business that I'd written. Um, quite a journey initially with uh, self-limiting beliefs, thinking uh, I wouldn't be able to do it because it was very hard to start with and I was uh, um, dealt with really roughly by some brokers initially. Um, I really struggled through it. But I really, I'd given up everything else. And I recognised this sort of pattern in me where here I am in, in the middle of a new town where I don't know anybody. I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling like I can't do it. I'm just coming up against rejection after rejection. And I think they're probably right. I think I probably, I'm not good enough. Um, and yet I was able to overcome that, be top of the region, like I say. So I got sent up to London. So then I worked in London for a while. Um, where it was even tougher. <laughs> I worked with 50 men at the time. I was the only woman and no woman had um, worked as a consultant in the city of London before. Um, and it was, it was tough. They treated me tough. They didn't want to include me. They, uh, I even was flashed at in the office. Uh, this might be too, too much information, but <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> went through the uh, bins in the ladies' toilets on a sweepstake to find out when my period was. This, this is the kind of uh, treatment I had to endure, um, making me believe, of course, that I didn't fit in. I was lonely, I didn't know the area, I'd given up everything, same sort of pattern as when I'd first gone to Bournemouth. But I, but I called that out, I dealt with it, I turned it around, and after one year, I was actually top of that office which is when they, uh, the company said, well, we want you to come and train. You must be doing something right. <laughs> we want you to come and train the rest of the country. So I did that for a while, absolutely loved that role. Um, it demonstrated increases in business throughout the country as a result of that training. I then went into management, branch manager Wales and Bristol and, um, then actually took a big leap of faith, really big blind step, and headed off to Bermuda to run a stockbroking firm, uh, which was the best thing I could have ever done, and an amazing life change. Spent 12 years there, and um, now I'm back in Bristol uh, seven years, um, running my own. Uh, training, motivational, and coaching company. That's that's a fantastic story, and there was some stuff in there that that I never knew, and I, I'm I'm sat here absolutely shocked that these people didn't think that you were going to make it because having trained with you and, and spent six months in the same room with you, nine to five, five days a week, I was absolutely convinced out of all of us you were going to be the the most successful in 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 and and so it proved but that so what what you're saying is that, that that the company had this limiting belief just because three other females hadn't made it in the particular field that that you were training that 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 you weren't going to do it yeah and in fact if they'd had somewhat of an open mind like the insurance broker did they'd have realized just how talented you were and, and then you came up against some absolute sexism having been put in an area where 
uh, it didn't matter from their point of view whether you expected uh, whether they, whether you failed or not. That that wasn't an issue as far as they were concerned. They were putting you there, expecting you to to fail, mm. and passed you to a to a, to an area where you were probably going to get eaten alive by fifty men or <laughs> ganging up on you. Yeah. So at that point, you you mentioned you did have some limiting beliefs, yet you fought through it and became top of that 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 area as well. Mm. Mm. Um, so much so that people actually sat up and realized what, what a talent you are. But would you say then that the lim- in view of the limiting beliefs that you had at the time, are, are limiting beliefs there for a reason? Um, I think they are. Um, I think they are for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first one is that it, because a lot of the limiting beliefs I have have come from literally being told them by other people, um, I think they're there for a reason to, to drive, drive me anyway forward, to, to kind of use that rubbish. I know it's rubbish, but to yeah. use that rubbish as fuel um, to give me the energy and drive. I often sit back and think, if these horrible things hadn't happened to me, I mean, I moved to Bermuda um, and as a managing director, I had breakfast scraped in my handbag. I had people not tell me about meetings that big clients were coming into because they wanted to show me up, put me on the spot, you know, this kind of thing. If I, if I hadn't have had that, I often wonder whether I'd have um, driven on so hard and so fast or tried so hard. So, you know, I'm grateful to them. I know that's a really weird thing to say. So on the one hand, I'm grateful to them. On the other hand, um, I think without limiting beliefs, we could just all blindly walk off a cliff. The, you know, our brains are hardwired, what, like 50,000 years ago they were created and there's no version 2.0 that says, can you um, improve my memory recall or my memory processing? This is what we're working with. And that is stemmed from a place of survival first, rather than, um, I don't know, look out on the street and say, gosh, that's a nice sports car driving past. The first step should be, I better make sure I don't get run over. So the limiting belief is there to, to save us, to help us survive first. It's no good having a cocktail on a beach with a volcano about to erupt behind you. So that's why I believe they're there as a, to sort of counteract, um, to help keep the ego in balance. Otherwise people might get too far ahead of themselves thinking I'm so good, I'm I'm fantastic, I'm brilliant without some, some sort of humility or humbleness to, to, to keep the sort of seesaw balance right. The question is whether it, it's too far out of kilter the other way, whether limiting beliefs overtake you and overtake yeah. your chance to succeed at whatever it is you're working with. So, so our beliefs are there and our subconscious are there to protect us. It's just whether they sometimes over protect us and stop us achieving what what we're capable of yes yeah 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 um i can think of another example of that where um i was completely and utterly flawed for at least three days um i 
have never been an artist or, or painted or anything, but I set, when I was in Bermuda, I set myself this challenge to enter into an art exhibition. Just, to, just as one of those, oh, I've never tried this, let's have a go at that. Um, and came up with an idea that I was actually very proud of and painted my painting and it actually got accepted into the exhibition. And um, there were about a hundred that were in the exhibition and there was a winning prize. I didn't win, just to say. So the winning prize won $10,000 and then there was a couple of runners up. I didn't run up either. But, um, just the act of having to put myself almost out there on a wall for people to see. Uh, the evening of the opening, uh, I don't know what you call it, opening event, um, there were a hundred pictures around, uh, different pieces of artwork around the gallery and uh, TV cameras were there and everything. And when I finally saw all the other 99 paintings, I just thought, what? on earth have you done, Sue? You, these are proper artists. They were um, incredible work. The work was, it was so, um, so sensational. It was like everything was real life. It was phenomenal. And there was my, uh, with using my words, childlike kind of piece of art uh, on the wall. And I felt, oh, it's not like any of the others. It's not like any of the others. I am ashamed, I'm embarrassed. Now people will laugh at me. What was I thinking? I'm not, I'm not in the same kind of beliefs as Bournemouth. I feel lonely because I feel all alone in this, you know, shown up. I don't know the area of art. I don't really know what the expectations were. And uh, now I've completely shown myself up. I'm not good enough to do this. That's the pattern. <laughs> um, it's not like any of the others. And for three days, I felt physically sick. And then suddenly I woke up and said, it's not like any of the others. How fabulous is that? Yeah. And the, exactly. unbeknownst to me, the gallery had thought the exact same thing. And uh, whilst I didn't win the exhibition, nor would I expect it to, <laughs> um, the, my artwork was the only piece that the gallery uh, purchased for the gallery. So I'm now That's hung in a national gallery. <laughs> <laughs> Who Brilliant. knew? <laughs> and it, there's a whole thing about putting yourself out there, isn't there? Because you, you did it in the environment of when your first job when you were sent sent to Bournemouth you you, you did it as a, as a trainer because you're up there to be knocked down you're putting yourself yeah. right out there and, and did it with the artwork and 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 yet all of it is, is is successful so did this sort of help you to to recognize some of your own limiting beliefs and and you know what what have you done about your own limiting beliefs um there was a a precise moment in time um, when I was sailing across the Atlantic. Um, Hang on a minute, you were what? I sailed across the Atlantic with two guys I'd met two day, uh, three days before. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, uh, so that, so that's sort of putting yourself out there again, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, they said they were looking for crew to help them sail from Bermuda to Portugal. And um, before I knew it, I'd said, I want to do it. My 
chairman of my company had said, well, you work hard, you, you've earned it, you deserve it, go for it. I think he actually told me afterwards, he thought I'd just drunk too many rums and would forget about it the next day. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I, did, I sailed across the Atlantic and um, we're about a week away from land in any direction and two huge storms collided. I mean, it's a story in its own right, so I can't go into too much detail, but suffice it to say, I thought it was going to die and the boat was knocked on its side and um, 50 foot waves and pitch black and thundering weather and rip sails and ropes all caught in the um, uh, um, steering and everything. And uh, yeah, we, we were going down really. Um, in fact, my limiting belief at that very point in time was, you know, I'm lonely. I don't know what I'm doing. Why have I put myself in this? Why have I pushed myself yet again into a position of the unknown? Um, what was I thinking? I'm not good enough to do this. Same pattern. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, and, and funnily enough, with that, I heard a different voice in my head, which was, you're alive right now, Sue. What can you do to stay alive in the next second? Because that's all you need to do. One second at a time. And with that, the boat's all on its side and I'm hanging on for dear life. And the skipper had gone down the front to try and cut the rope to release the sail to at least um, right the boat, if nothing else. Um, and hanging on for dear life, I could see just in front of me a torch had got caught in a gully. So I lurched forward for it and shone the torch down to the skipper, um, which was just enough for him to be able to see through the waves. I mean, poor guy could barely even breathe as they were crashing over the top of him uh, to cut the rope to right the boat. Uh, and we'd, we'd made it. You know, we weren't, we weren't going anywhere anytime soon, but we were afloat. Well, the next morning, was the calmest I've ever seen in the ocean. Flat like a silk scarf. And the sunrise was spectacular. Now, whether it was because I was looking through the eyes of someone who was just happy to be alive, you know, it might have made it extra spectacular. But something happened in that moment as I was looking all around me, all I could see is ocean and this great dome of sunrise all, all over me, really. Um, and I was so in awe, but I, I came to this realization that I, I was just as much a part of that scene as the sunrise, as the ocean. I was where the, um, where the sky met the sea. I, I was right there. I was part of it. I, I am it. I'm part of the planet. I deserve to be here. And in that moment, I just had this really strong sense of wanting for absolutely nothing because this was enough, being alive was enough. And I was able to say to myself, I am enough. Fantastic. And that was the moment I feel like everything changed. I'm enough. It doesn't need to be. I, you know, anything else that anybody tries to do to me or bring me down or, you know, undermine me in some way doesn't matter anymore. Because I'm just happy to be alive. Yeah. And that I am enough, that's, that comes through in so many books from people that in, in the world that I'm in now, the emotional freedom technique is loving and accepting myself you know and and, and it's all along the same lines so yeah. that's a fantastic story and 
and, and to come out with that aha moment that I am enough and realizing your own limiting beliefs that seem to be going through from the stories that you've said that, uh, that you, you went from, I'm not good enough to yeah. I am enough. Yeah. What about all these people that you've trained over the years, you know, the 30 odd years that you've been training people in various countries. Is, is there a, a pattern do you feel in, in their own limiting beliefs that maybe help people listening to this? Um, I think there is a pattern actually. And uh, I talk about this pattern a lot and I've yet to find anyone who disagrees with it when I'm, when I'm doing the training, they agree wholeheartedly. I reckon there's four things that people um, have in a pattern that they either do well or don't do well. And, and to explain those things, uh, my other theory is that when you're training people, there's a lot for people to remember. And, you know, they forget a lot of information. We're, we've got so much input these days. So these, these patterns have to be simple to understand. And I've, I've worked out that there's, there's four words that describe these patterns and they all end in the word press. So ultimately, when we're trying to learn and develop, uh, by just remembering the word press, we can then recall these other words that end in the, in the word press. The first word of the pattern is depress. And this is a regular pattern I see in people where I hear their negative voice you know i recognize it in myself and it's very easy to recognize in others which is all along the lines of or boiled down to the i'm not good enough or uh, feel unloved or unlovable or um it might also be feeling uh, sort of cheated you know i haven't had the opportunities that you've had or um the world's let me down somehow all that uh, where we're that part of us, we're a bit miserable with the world. That's our depressed pattern. And I see it in, in everywhere, everywhere I go. And then I see the oppressed pattern, which is where people are ground down by people like I've experienced undermining. And sure. most people can come up with examples where they've either been, um, you know, to the extreme, um, bullied and harassed in some way, or even just down to the smaller extreme where they know there's a passive aggressiveness or an ignoring or a silent treatment or some kind of chip, chip, chip of undermining. So there's the depress, there's the oppress, then there's the impress, which is the part of you to be proud of. The, you know, the part of me that put the art on the wall in the gallery, the part of me that was top in the business figures, that, that kind of thing. The, the part of you that comes up with a different way of doing things. And yet the pattern in that is people going, yeah, but I, I can't have, I don't have any ideas. I can't think of anything new. I wouldn't be able to do that. Other people are the creative, innovative, inventive uh, types. Uh, that's not me. It's a huge pattern. And then the last pattern I see is express, using my press uh, four words, like an express chain where you can take massive action and make things happen. And like the example of me meeting these guys to go sailing. I met them on the Saturday. We set sail on the, uh, on the Wednesday morning. And uh, Wednesday morning, early into the morning. I had to be on the boat on the Tuesday. Already I'd had to provision the boat for a month at sea. And I had one day at work to 
um, manage my offices in Cayman, Bahamas, Bermuda, London, Guernsey for the rest of that next month. I had one day to do that. Now, how did I do that? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you did that. I can't do one hour. <laughs> <laughs> but that's desire taking over from time management. I want to, so I will, so I have to. You know, it, it's amazing what your mind can do when you just channel it to say, well, I've just got to. Um, so that's the express quadrant. So a lot of people I find a pattern. It doesn't matter what country, what company, people are all saying, yeah, I would, but I, I yes, I would, but I don't have time. So yeah. time's an issue. Believing in creativity is an issue. Um, coping with consistently being undermined is an issue and believing the negative voice of ourselves is the issue. That, that's the four that I consistently come up against. So to help people remove the, the limiting beliefs, do you, do you have any is it sort of pictures in your mind's eye to help you visualize these beliefs and, and see them for, for what they are? How, how do you go about that with, with yeah. the people that you train? Yeah, I do. And it's one that uh, you could uh, draw for yourself while I'm explaining it now um, by drawing just a negative on the page, the minus symbol. If, we, if you think of that as a horizontal line on a piece of paper, that's what, you know, is a renowned uh, symbol for negative, like our negative side. And yet if you were to cross that with a horizontal line, you can then draw a plus. So that's what I get people to do, a horizontal line. Sorry, yeah, horizontal line, then a, did I say that the wrong way around? I think you um, did, but it doesn't matter. I think I did, didn't I? <laughs> so going from a negative to a positive, drawing a minus and making it a plus, um, yeah. it crossing over. So by drawing a plus, we're recognizing, first of all, that it's twice the work of the negative. It's much easier to just be negative and you've got to draw an extra line to get the plus. Oh, I love that, and then yeah. In each of, having drawn a plus, you've then got four quadrants. And in the top left quadrant, you can write the word depress. In the top right quadrant, you can write the word oppress. Bottom right, you can write impress. Bottom left, you can write express. Now, when I'm training people, what I'm explaining is that the top two, the depress and oppress, are me beating myself up and you beating me up, metaphorically, uh, let's hope. Um, although it's all, it's all as equally debilitating, to be fair. Yeah. Depress and oppress can take over our lives and crush the bottom two quadrants, crushing our ability to be creative and spending so much time worrying that we can't get to the action and direction that we want to take our life in. So I would encourage people then to, to instead of looking at a plus, to drop the horizontal bar down to highlight that the depress and oppress quadrants are larger because the depress, you, the, the two can feed each other. You don't feel yes. like you're good enough. Someone tells you you're not good enough. So you believe even more wholeheartedly that you're not good enough, which gives people the freedom more so easily to tell you you're not good enough. And that the, the bar just crushes you, your chance to impress and express uh, it, it crushes it. 
Whereas my objective in training is to push that bar up so that you've got it like a, like a weight in a gym with your arms stretching right up and pushing the bar up so that the, the depress and oppress don't go away. And I think that's an, another, you know, a limiting belief in its own right is to think I shouldn't be worried and I shouldn't be sad or I shouldn't be miserable in some way. Where in fact, I think it's always there. It's just, can we make it a smaller proportion of the whole? So we push this bar up and focus more on um, what we can invent, spending more time thinking, well, how can I change that process? How can I learn how to do this, um, I don't know, job in half the time? How can I recognize what the company's doing and maybe there's a better way they could be doing it? You know, time spent in that zone is much more uh, productive, makes you feel uh, more mental freedom, more success than if you just stay under the cloud of the, the top two presses. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you're asking the question, if, if, if you're in the top two, if you're in the depressed or the oppressed, what would be better than feeling this? And then relating that to express and impress and, and in doing so, raising the bar. Yeah. So, you know, there's some tools in each of those quadrants, like in the uh, depress one, for instance. I love uh, Jordan Peterson's line, we are stronger than things are terrible. We are stronger than things are terrible. We might think, oh, I can't do this, and I don't know, and I'm not good enough, and I don't want to be in this situation. I didn't want to be in this situation sailing across the Atlantic um, thinking I was going to die. <laughs> but I was stronger than things were terrible. I did a, yeah. I had a bad ski accident in Canada and the, they were, um, they called for the helicopter to helicopter me off the mountain. It was that bad. And then they said, actually, sorry, the helicopters, uh, in Calgary, it was an hour away in the Rockies and they couldn't get to me. It was minus 36. And they said, the hypothermia is going to set in. We can't wait for the helicopter and you can't go in one of the, blood wagons as I know they're called like a structure that goes down with a skier because you can't take the brunt of force actually you're going to have to ski um now I was internally bleeding at this point and uh, my whole well basically from my knees to my belly button I was jet black bruised and uh yeah internally bleeding losing a lot of blood in more pain than I'd ever experienced. And in that moment, I still had to ski down the mountain to save my own life. And that we are stronger than things are terrible. It was yet again proof that, you know, if I can, if I can do that, am I really gonna get myself in a state of a problem on a regular Tuesday, say? Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, when you've been in positions like that, you, you don't really, go around sweating the small stuff do you no but in, you know that doesn't mean someone should go out and go okay i'm going to try and drown myself in the middle of the atlantic <laughs> now before i can have that experience i use the experience of somebody else's to share and i've been using it since the year 2000 when i read in the bbc news and you can still call it up now um about a dear lady who'd had to climb a tree and um, Maputo in Africa in floods uh, she'd had to climb this tree to survive she was a pregnant lady she was up that tree for three days 
And in that time, um, she actually gave birth up the tree. And that was 20 years ago. And it still takes my breath away that somebody was forced into that position. Um, and it's, it, it's become a mantra that people associate with me when they're having a bad day to, to sort of learn my sentence. Yes, but at least I'm not giving birth up a tree. Yeah, yeah. A, you know, sort of frame <laughs> and perspective. Um, not to say, of course, that you can't, you know, every feeling's valid. You, you must have whatever feeling you want, but you must just always know that there is, a, with that comes a choice. Yeah. So. Yeah, I could carry on. I mean, on the oppressed one, what I've done over the years, because I have had a lot of people, um, I don't know why, I don't know why I've attracted it to me, but I think it's, it's, it's easing off now. <laughs> um, but a, a lot of people try and bring me down and not want me to succeed and to leave the company. And, you know, I, people don't like being other people succeeding I suppose I don't know but what I've done is I've uh, is I've tried to recognize these people as people who are demonstrating this is what I call it cuckoo behavior so what does a cuckoo do it lays its eggs in somebody else's nest and it takes advantage of you it then the, the young then um hatch and try and take all the food and then they try and kick the babies out of the nest so it's a cuckoo type behavior is totally self-centered it's not thinking about you and it's just looking to take advantage of you and ever since i could see that analogy you can see i'm not saying people are cuckoos i want to give them the benefit of the doubt but they definitely demonstrate cuckoo behavior the slight difference is what i mean so in looking to spot it, that nest might be your home life, your work life, you know, it might be your office, it is your nest. You can't go, well, I don't like you, so I'm going to ignore you. If they're in your nest, they're part of your life. And I believe you've got two choices. You can copy them or you can cohabit them. So copy is, well, you've been mean to me, so I'm going to be mean to you. And, you know, that's just never going to get us anywhere. And I am determined never to drop to that frequency. So I have to learn to cohabit. I have to expect them to be there and not be surprised by it and not have the rug pulled out from under me when it happens. Almost know that it's going to happen and that I'm not going to react to it. And recognizing them as cuckoos helps me to have more empathy for them really because in truth, it's only hurt people that hurt people. Yeah. And there's that saying, isn't there, that, that uh, putting out someone else's light doesn't make your light shine any brighter. Yeah, yeah I like that one. And, and you're right. that if, if we look at it through, through their eyes and try and walk a, a mile in their shoes and wondering what's going on in their life and looking at it from their perspective, that they, they must be hurt to 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 want to hurt other people. You're absolutely mm. spot on with that. So mm. you've given us so much today. So it's been absolutely fantastic. Should we lighten it a little bit? Because uh, I wonder whether you've got any pet peeve limiting beliefs, ones that niggle away at you, that, that, that infuriate you. I do, actually. Do you? <laughs> 
<laughs> How did you know I'd have little hobby horses? <laughs> um, I've got, what have I got? Let me think. It's, I've, I've got three statements that people make that really wind me up for, the, right. for their sake, for their sake. The yeah. first one is, it's not my fault. It's not my right. fault. Nobody told me it's not my fault that this happened. It was the other department, you know, that kind of thing. It's not my fault. It's yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know what I want to do. I'm, I, I'm not sure how to go about it is another one. And then the last one is, oh, yeah, but I did try my best. Now, they're all ones that might be uh, not quite so obvious if we take that it's not my fault first um i'm not saying that's wrong people wouldn't say it without it being true the question is is it helping you mm. the longer you're staying in a state of yes but it's not my fault the the longer the delay in taking any action to to solve the problem and come out the other side it seems like all it is is a is a stalling mechanism to me and a, yep. a limiting belief that is saying i'll stop right here it's limited you immediately by saying i'm just going to stop right here because it's not my fault and and wait for the world to make it better but i think yep. I'm waiting a while <laughs> um, <laughs> yes the i don't know and i'm not sure it's been very uh I just hear it a lot all day, every day, um, and it's it immediately uh, sounds, you know, it's its own decision of inaction. And instead of saying I don't know or I'm not sure, we can be asking the question: Well, what is it you want to know in order to make this decision? What is it you think you'd like to be sure of before you make this decision? so that you can keep moving along the path. Yeah. And I don't know isn't, isn't an answer. That's a choice of inaction. In which yep. case you've limited your capability by choosing inaction. It is a choice and it's, it's about recognizing that. And then the last one is probably my favorite hobby horse. Um, right. Because not only do people say it, parents say it lovingly as well to their children. Oh, well, at least you tried your best. That's all I can ever ask. If you tried your best, that's fabulous. Now, obviously, that's a great sentence. There's nothing really wrong with it. But my thoughts are, well, how do you know? You know how do you know you've tried your best? How do you know what else you're capable of? By saying I've tried my best, you've put a lid on it. You've created a limit. Now I'm not talking about an exam where you might get 100% or something. Well, it's obvious you've tried your best in, in revising and studying. I'm just talking about in life generally, in anything that you're trying to do or achieve, by saying, well, I've, I've done my best on that, you're actually saying, I've given as much as I'm willing to. Yeah. I don't want to give any more. So recognize the statement for what it actually is. If I imagine doing this now, well, you can do it because I can't see you, Mark. <laughs> if I say to anybody, put your arm in the air as high as it can go, have a go, yeah. think about it now yourself. 
put your arm in the air or metaphorically do it if you're sitting on no, the I'm train. Doing it. I'm this, doing no, it. I mean, if someone else is listening and oh, you're sorry. on the train and you feel a bit of a wally. Um, or driving, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Put your arm in the air as high as it can go. Okay. Now just go a little bit further. So why didn't you do that the first time? So you've moved your arm from as far as it could possibly go. You've done your absolute best and then suddenly you were able to push it up just a little bit further. That, to me, that just proves the point that why, why would we choose to limit ourselves by saying I've tried my best? Perhaps there's a different way. That might be the best down that avenue, but perhaps there's a different way. Yeah, what else could I do? Yeah, big hobby horse of mine, that one. Fantastic. Do you feel better now you've got those <laughs> so off your chest? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have one more question to ask you. Actually, I've got two. The first one is, um, when's the film about your life coming out then? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be funny, wouldn't it? <laughs> I think that would be an inspiration to a lot of people and given us so much today. And I thank you so much for finding time. To, to 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 speak to me today but if there's anything else that uh you'd like to to tell anybody who's listening to this what what would well, that be okay okay i was uh, i turned up in australia to do a talk at a big conference and uh just before my slot there was a toilet break and they'd already seen me i think i'd had a, a very brief introduction just before the break so sue's going to be coming on next and um Two guys walked out along the corridor in front of me, not realizing I was behind them, walking back into the conference room. And one, one said to the other, I still can't believe it. One said to the other, what could this Ranga Pom Sheila possibly teach us? Now, Sheila we know is um, you know, an Australian slang for female. Yeah. Uh, Pom is Australian slang for English. Um, what about Ranga? Do you know what Ranga is? That's I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it's not complimentary, but no, <laughs> I don't know what it means. You are right. Um, that's short for orangutan, and that's orangas are what red-headed people are called in Australia. Oh, fantastic. So in one brief sentence, he's insulted me three times with, you know, insult slang. Um, yep. And also uh, the sort of oppress limiting belief that what could I um, possibly tell them? So uh, I thought, okay, this is going to be a challenge. I'm about to stand up and speak and uh, decided to take a slightly different tack and wrote some things on the, uh, I turned the flip chart around and wrote some things down. They, they didn't know what, they couldn't see what I was writing and I covered it up. And uh, I started the talk and said, well, before I start, you know, I've flown all the way from Bermuda to come and talk to you in Australia. Um, let's make sure it's useful. Uh, why don't you just have a chat amongst yourselves for a couple of minutes and, and come up with the biggest problems that you're struggling with right now? Because what could I possibly help you with using the guy's line uh, if I don't know what your problems are? Anyway, they came back two minutes later and basically gave me for a list of four things that were the same, uh, five things actually, sorry, a list of five things that were the same 
five things I'd written on the flip chart at the start that they hadn't seen me write. So they'd, I, I was, they were able to tell me what those five things were. Then I was able to turn my flip chart and say, do you remember you saw me writing something down? Yes, they said. And I said, what, what do you notice? And I turned the page over and they could see that all five things were exactly the same. Fantastic. Which is when I could say, this is why this Rangapom Sheila has come to talk to you today. <laughs> <laughs> and those five things were, uh, well, our targets are too high. You know, expectations on us are too high. Our expenses are too low. Our budgets have been cut. Our reporting is too onerous. We have to waste so much time reporting, we can't get on and do the job. Our back office admin is too bad and our compliance and regulation stops progress. And I was able to say, you're all miserable about it. That will be the same wherever you are in the world and whatever country you're in in the world. It's the same thing. Everybody battles with the same thing. You've got to basically do more with less. Yeah, they could have covered that, but it, it's not my fault, wasn't it? It covers exactly. about everything they said then, wasn't it? So. Exactly. And that's my point. Going back to the, deep, uh, the press model, the four presses, they've blamed others for it taking their time away from them because they've got reporting and what have you to do. They've blamed others in an oppressed way. You're being hard on us. You're asking too much of us. But none of it dealt with their ability to impress and come up with ideas and do things and their ability to quieten their negative voice, which is why I was then able to, to focus on everybody's in the same situation. Now, how do you stand out from the crowd? And did all exercises that are the tools within this model. Like, have I, got, I could give you an example if you want one. I don't know how Go much on then. Like holding up an orange and saying, okay, sell me an orange. I mean, everybody hates that sort of exercise. <clears throat> and they go, well, it's got vitamin C and it's nicely segmented. Orange is the new black. You could use it as a ball, you know, coming up with all ideas that are just about the orange, which doesn't differentiate you from your competition who's also selling an orange. Theirs have got vitamin C and nice segments and orange is the new black. It, it's exactly the same. The only thing that differentiates it is you holding it. Now, the easiest thing to do to stand out from the crowd and sell your orange over somebody else's is to peel the orange for somebody. Nobody buys and nobody picks up the orange in a, in a restaurant, do they? They pick up the bananas and the apples and walk out with them, but they don't walk out with the orange. Why? Because there's too much of a faff and they get their keyboard dirty when they go back to work. So to just put in that piece of effort that goes, I'm thinking about something for you, is all you need to do to make success in. Fantastic. Failed or whatever job you're in. Peel the orange. Peel the orange. They've come up with so many sayings. We've got a whole list of them here. Yeah, sorry so, <laughs> nope. So peel the orange. We are stronger when things are terrible. And at least I'm not giving birth up a tree. Exactly. There are just, just three of them. So That's if, my favourite. That is, it's been fantastic. The, the time's flown by, as it always does, does when I, I speak to you, Sue. So thank you so much again for your time. If yeah. people want to find out more about you and your work, where, where, where's best to, to get in contact with you? Um, my website is potes, P-O-T-E-S, potes, which is Latin for you can, potes.ltd, potes.limited, potes.ltd. 
um, on Instagram, on LinkedIn. Um, I'm there, there's uh, posts every day as reminders to help our limiting beliefs. And uh, yeah, I'd love to connect with anybody that would like to know more. Okay, that's great. Thank you again. It's been wonderful to speak to you and thank, thank you, you for you. being so generous with, 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 with your stories and with, and with your insights. I'm sure you've helped so many people today and uh, enjoy the rest of today. Thank you and you. Take care. Thank you for downloading the Overcoming Limiting Beliefs podcast. If you like the content and would like more episodes, please subscribe at iTunes, rate it and share on social media. To find out more about how I may be able to help you help yourself and to download free content, please go to markbristowcoaching.com.